Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. All right, well, we are in our series, and we've been kind of loading up for chapter 3. And of course, being that there's so much in that chapter, I'm going to break that up into two parts again today. And uh, so we're going to talk about the fall. So we're going to call this Genesis chapter 3, part 1, the fall. Next week, we're going to talk about the curse. Now, don't be discouraged about the curse, because what we find out is God has an answer for all of this. Amen? And I love that part of the story. So far, what we've been learning is, of course, about the power of God, the sovereignty of God, the awesomeness of our God. And so much of creation and what God has done, we, we have to take at God's word. He gave us his story from his account, gave it straight to, to Moses so that he might share with his people and that we might be able to read it to this day, which is astounding, isn't it? That that has been able to be kept in such a powerful way um, for us to enjoy and read even to this day. The description of the fall of Adam and Eve from their position of grace is very powerful, and it's, of course, significant to our understanding of the gospel. We need to catch that. So as we get into this today, we see that it, it is what creates the need for Jesus. We cannot fully understand what we need until we understand what we've lost. Okay, so think about that. Because of what man enjoyed before the fall, each human being has an innate sense of this loss. It's deep inside. They call it the hole in the soul. Every culture, every people, all across our great globe, every tribe and nation, there is this innate sense of loss. And this has been studied, of course, which is why you see uh, religion in almost every culture, whether it be animism or an organized religion of some sort, man is reaching up. The question is, why? Well, we find it right here. Because we've been born, we were born to be in the garden. We were born to be in fellowship with our creator. And what we're going to find is that is tragically torn from man in our story. It manifests itself, this hole in the soul. The longing for something deeper, spiritual, and real, is definitely hardwired into every human being. We see why in this story right here. In Genesis 3, we're going to see the following themes and answers to some of our deepest questions. Of course, I can't be totally comprehensive today for the lack of time, but it's amazing. And I encourage you to do even more study on your own. But let's look at the first 13 verses, and we'll take some points to ponder. Number one, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. 
Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I've commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit. (laughs) Oh, guys, man, we're off the hook. (laughs) No, that's not true, and you'll see why. All right. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you? Okay, let's skip skip ahead. The ones you put here, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So we see so much taking place in this story, and so we're just going to kind of jump right in here. First of all, we see Satan's adversarial position is clear from the very beginning. Satan approaches God's creation not with an attempt to try to coexist, but has a a, a mission, and that is to deceive man. And he's very, very much a cunning deceiver. In John 8, 44, it tells us that he is the father of lies. This is Jesus saying he's the father of lies. So we think in terms, and everything we know and we can uh, extrapolate from Scripture, we can find that Satan, of course, was pre-existing. He was in, in heaven with uh, the Father, a created being, an anointed cherub. Worship came out from under his wings, and he stood before uh, God and offering up praise. Praise came, and he was the one responsible for, for bringing praise and music uh, to God. But it says that pride was found in his heart, and he rose up and wanted to be like God and said, no, you will not, and was cast to the earth. So we can only assume that what is taken is that that has taken place before this, if we were thinking chronologically, that Satan, in the form of this serpent, now is approaching Eve. And, of course, as he would, as we would accept, or you would, you would understand, that that would be his first attempt, because he's full of deceit and the father of lies. And so he approaches Eve, and the first thing he does is begin to cause her to question. And so you catch here, which is really interesting, kind of what we would call the anatomy of the initial temptation or how deception works, is the first thing he says is he begins to question the word of God, the command of God, and then he twists the command of God. Now look at this. You must not eat from any tree in the garden. Did God really say you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? Notice that he trips her up a little bit to say, whoa, wait a minute, I got to, hmm, did he? To the point that was just enough to see that there was a twist causing confusion. Because often with deception comes confusion. It's the, I should have had a V8 kind of experience that you have, you know? Often deception comes with confusion, and and there's that sense of, gosh, how did I get here? And you can bet that Eve was feeling exactly that way after uh, God then comes. But deception comes through the questioning of God's commands and God's ways. Hebrews 3.15 talks about that. That in our hearts, folks, that's the way it comes. 
Satan is going to come through that door. If we were going to think of, 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 of our lives in the, in the areas where we often do struggle, that's going to be that door. It's going to be questioning. Is that not where we are as a culture right now? A full-on, 100% questioning of the ways of God, which is why it's so important that we come here every week to hear the Word of God, that not only are we reading it through the week, but we're, we're, we're preparing our hearts in worship, humbling ourselves, and then on top of that bed, that prepared soil, we plant the seeds of the Word of God so that it begins to grow inside our hearts, germinate, and that truth takes hold. How many know that that's important? I mean, how many know that when you hear something for the first time, it doesn't always stick? And, 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 and how about this, that even something that you've heard every day of your lives does not stick? So how easily as human beings, I guess we could say looking at our story, is that one of the fallouts about our character, about our human nature, is that we are easily distracted and deceived. And that's the first step in in really embracing this story. So that humanism, the idea that man can come into this place of perfection or that we we don't need God or they don't need the concept of God is is ludicrous. Because the truth is, man is easily deceived. Even when man has all that he thinks he needs is so easily deceived. Here is Adam and Eve in a perfect situation. They have need of nothing. Are we right? They have a perfect situation, and yet still distracted. Maybe there's something else, something more, something better than I have. So deception begins to take place. and It comes to the questioning of God's word. Then we see that Satan deceives us into thinking, or deceives them into thinking, that there will not be a consequence for sin. If we go into our story, he says, Satan speaks to, she says, well, no, we can, he didn't say we, we could eat all of the fruit, but of just that tree we cannot, and he says, you will die. And then Satan, in verse 4, says, no, you will not certainly die, which is a lie, right? That comes right up against the very word of God. Before it's a twist, and if we resist a little bit more, then Satan's going to go after the very core of what God said. no. You won't get a sexually transmitted disease. No, you will not die. No, there will not be a consequence for your sin. No, this, you know, how many young people who are, you know, taking drugs or, you know, think that they can get away with doing something and there not be a consequence, the process of what you can bet that Satan was right there saying, no, you're going to be good. It's going to be okay. They're never going to catch you. This is never going to have a consequence. And that's another thing. Just because man doesn't catch us doesn't mean that God doesn't. And, of course, we're going to see that in our story as well. So Satan immediately goes after the idea of consequences. And so it trips Eve up because then he questions and says, no, 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 you're not going to die. And then, of course, he begins to appeal to this concept of greed. In Romans 6, let me back up here. So what we know about sin is that sin is death. In the book of Romans, Paul takes the theme right out of the book of Genesis in in this chapter. And he builds what we would call the theology of sin and death. And Paul says that, beginning Romans chapter 6, by saying, what shall we say then, Christians? 
Shall we go on sinning so that grace might increase? And he says, no, you can't do that because what? Sin is death. Sin will kill you. As a matter of fact, we all are born into a measure of death. We're third dead. Our spirits are dead. We have a soul. We have a body. But our spirits are dead to God. Born without any capability of being able to hear the voice of God and connecting to who we are as as spirits, spiritual beings. And of course, that was a result of the fall. But even more so, what we must understand is that sin is death. And it's important for us to understand the, the gravity and the power and the damage and the destruction that sin does do to us and our lives. And we all know that cause and effect doesn't always strike immediately. In other words, you don't steal the cookie and you have an immediate, you get sick on the cookie, right? It's just like, I stole this cookie, so it's going to make me sick. I'm just playing here. No, 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 man, we enjoy the cookie, we go on. But the problem is now we want another one. And then before we know it, the whole jar is empty. And there is a consequence because then we're going to get sick or whatever. See, consequence doesn't always strike immediately after. And as a matter of fact, a lot of times it is a path. So in in other words, that first step might be the first step in in a long journey. And I remember many, many years ago, my pastor told me, he said, David, we can stop and get off the road of sin anywhere along the line. We are tempted, or we actually begin to take the first step towards something. Maybe in the case of Eve, she could have gotten halfway to putting her hand on the, on the fruit and then just say, you know what, no, I'm not going to do that because I've been thinking about it. And I remember what God said, and he said I was going to die, and I don't like that. I don't think that's a good idea. I don't know what death is, but it doesn't sound good. So I'm not going to do that. Anywhere along the line. So when you think about it in our own lives, when we're tempted, we're drawn away, and we feel like we ourselves are beginning to defend our own actions, see, then we need to know that the enemy is at work. See, Satan appeals to greed or a sense of loss in our story, in the soul of men and women. So he, he goes after and says, hey, you know, did he really say that? And he said, no, no, he didn't say that. And he goes on to what what, what was the the real takedown. He says, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, which then assumes that they are what? Closed. There's a sense of loss there. I'm missing something. How much does that affect us people? Every single day, that sense of loss. And you know, the sense of loss and something missing in your life is appealed to Every second, almost every second of your life, if you watch television, listen to the radio, look at your smartphone, check your Instagram, Facebook, it doesn't matter really where you go anymore, advertising appeals to your constant sense of loss. In other words, you're missing something in life. It's like, oh man, I mean, I'm watching a football game yesterday, and then here comes a commercial with this huge... (laughs) This huge burger, man. I mean, it is the most awesome burger I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it's got like two chunks of beef, bacon, and they put an egg on top of that thing. 
<sighs> so I, I'm now just thinking, I can't enjoy this game anymore. Because I don't have that burger. And how can I enjoy life without that burger? Because the guy eating it looks like he's so happy. You know, I'm, I'm playing here. But we all know what's going on. And how many times, I mean, do we resist it? I mean, I, sometimes I talk to the TV. Do you talk to the TV sometimes? I do. I say, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. Or, you know, just playing. I'm just saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get my carrots, right, Dr. Brian? Oh, Lord, help us. But look, we need to understand how temptation is working here. He says your eyes are going to be opened, so he appeals to loss, a sense of that Eve is missing something. And he goes on to tell her what she's missing. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, there's some truth in that. Because later we're going to find that God, you know, says that that is exactly what takes place. And so that this search for knowledge sometimes can be our very enemy. Um, but in this case, what happens? He says, you know, your eyes are going to be opened. Of course, Eve, who is so innocent in, in this regard, really has no idea what the whole concept of eyes being opened is. It's like a young freshman going off to college and everybody talking to them about this new drug or about this new, about this activity that they're going to do, you know, at midnight or running with the crowd. You know, it, it's, it's like that. There is a sense of innocence. You don't really know what's going to happen, but there's a sense of what? I'm missing out on something. And yet, those, you know, those cautions are just run right through and into the temptation they fall. So Satan tries to put words in God's mouth by saying, oh, he knows no, 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 no. He knows that if you eat of this, that you're going to be like him. So he's beginning to be a spokesman for God. Now look, <laughs> when any, anybody thinks that they know the words of God, be very, very, very cautious. Very, very careful. Okay? Even for somebody that stands in a pulpit like myself. When a person says they've heard from God, the scripture says test the spirit. All right? Test it. <laughs> Where is this originating from? What is the goal? Is there manipulation? Is there control? Or is this a genuine heart to, to help and to heal? Those are important things for, for us to get at. And sometimes I feel very badly for Christians when I see them gobbled up by quick, get-rich-quick schemes or by television situations where they're just gobbled up because, and, and have no real time to kind of test. But because it looks good, smells good, and the appeal sounds good, it, it just takes them like a river and then... There's loss. Of course, we're going to get into that. So Satan tries to put words in his mouth. And then he uses half-truths. And, and uh, well, we, so we know that. But half-truths today and cultic, te cultic teaching are very common around us. And we're surrounded by it. We're saturated in it. And it's overflowing with this one thing, pride. Pride. See, if you look in Luke chapter 4, 1 through 13, you'll see that's exactly what Satan is appealing to. Satan is always, he, he's the father of lies and he's absolutely the father of pride as well. He's, that was his, the original sin that Satan was caught. It is the very thing that he uses with men to get us to stumble. And that is, the first point of pride is this, is that we can live a life without God. That we can live and walk and live and breathe. We can 
we can live our lives when it comes to our spirit and caring for ourselves, that we can do that without his input. And that's, it's a little scary on one hand to think, gosh, am I that reliant upon God? Absolutely. I mean, David said, man, you're my everything. I can't, you know, where will I flee from your presence? I mean, David's appeal all throughout the Psalms was, here is this, this mighty warrior, here is this, this king, this man of men, killing thousands of Philistines, destroying a giant as a child, killing a lion and a bear. I think we'd all say the guy ranks pretty high on the man thing, right? And yet he's also a very tender guy. He plays the liar, you know. All the, I mean, all your girls, I mean, he melts your heart, man. He's buff, and yet he's got the artistic, you know, connection going on there. <laughs> I'm just playing. Playing way too much. Help me here, Randy. Anyway, but what, <laughs> he says, I got my eye on you. No, but then he writes the book of Psalms. I mean, many of the Psalms. And you look at that, there is such a sense of desperation. There's a sense of, you know, wow, this guy is almost schizophrenic. This guy has some major emotional issues. Well, we all do. <laughs> That's the truth. And when you read those Psalms, you're just like, wow. And I'm really connecting where this guy is. I mean, I know his pain. I've been there. When enemies rise up against me on every side, and we've all felt that before, haven't we? When you've just said, I'm giving up. I'm not, I'm not going to work. I'm not doing any. Honey, I'm standing in bed for the next week. Sorry. We've all been there. And that's where pride, that's where this thought of trying to do things on our own are going to take us. But the truth is, to be human means we have to recognize our great need for who? For God. And it's when we step out of that, we try to do things on our own, in our own strength, in our own knowledge, in our own ways, that, folks, we find ourselves stumbling and falling. And this is exactly what Satan is trying to get Adam and Eve to do, and we find successfully. Number five in your notes. The anatomy or the process of deception is pretty clear here. It's appealed to and shown in 1 John 2.16 and also James chapter 1, 13 through 15. You can read those on your own, but you can see that it comes right straight from here. First of all, if we break this down, Eve sees that the food uh, was good. So she, she looks at it. She saw there's the lust of the eyes. Okay? So right out of there to 1 John. Then it's pleasing to the eye and something that she would enjoy. So not only does she, she see it looks good, but now it's take, she's kind of taking it into her soul and saying, hmm, I can almost taste it. I know what fruit tastes like. I wonder what that tastes like. And that goes from, because see, here's the thing. The first level of temptation is, is not a killer. We all live there because what? We got eyes. You know, it's, you know you're going to see things. Now, sometimes you need to guard your eyes, as, as Proverbs 4 teaches us. You know, guard your, 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 your eyes. Look straight ahead. You know, look at the path for your feet. But every once in a while, we're going to see things that might want to jump off the shelf or jump off the rack or show up on a television or somebody walk into your life. And there's the view. There's the, the, but, but you can easily just do what? Divert your eyes. You can look away. You can say, no, 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 I'm not going to look at that. That's... But it's when we gaze upon that and we begin to think about it, the lust of the flesh kicks in. And that's exactly what happens to Eve. She sees what's going on, but then goes toward it and she begins to lust for it in the flesh. She begins to imagine herself eating it. 
Then the third part is she sees that it's desirable for gaining wisdom. She took the last step where the trap comes and grabs her by the ankle. She's, or or she's, she's, you know, the, the net comes up and she's, she's trapped. She sees, she desires, and then she says, okay, this is going to, this, I don't really need God. This is going to be good. This is something that God didn't tell me about. Or I can just say, you know, you know we're, we're coming into an age where maybe, maybe they're right about God not being uh, legitimate or that God is dead or that the concept is somewhat mythological or maybe God doesn't care. Maybe God changed his mind. You see, all these little lies that begin coming in. So to become like God, in other words, to be self-sufficient, to improve oneself outside the boundaries of God's wisdom. Folks, that's the pride of life, as 1 John tells us, the pride of life. So looking at our lives with a chin that's up and a nose that's, you know, put up, and, and, we're, and we're walking around thinking we own the world and that we know everything. See, that, that, what is it? it says that the fear of the Lord begins with, with wisdom. And that wisdom, you know, that is, you, you're not going to get true wisdom about without fearing God. And so Eve finds this out very strongly. So it says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life come not from the Father, but from the world. Now John does something that's really interesting. He makes a transition from Satan himself to now Satan's world system. The truth is Satan's been working very hard to build a kingdom in opposition to God's kingdom. And that's a whole different teaching. Matter of fact, in theology, the book that you use to study that, the kingdom of God, is about that thick. And it's, it's awesome when we truly understand that there's a clash of kingdoms here because Satan has set up a kingdom. Now, here's the news he lost. He is defeated. He just hasn't been completely kicked out yet. Now, his day is coming when Satan will wrap it up, but in the meantime, God came over to the group of people called the church, and he said, look, I'm giving you my name for you to go ahead and continue the work of kicking the enemy out of my earth, which I won back on the cross, by the way, and is given back to you. So what we're seeing here, and I'm getting ahead of myself because we'll talk about the the curse next week. So we see this taking place. Now, so poor Eve, she's deceived. But here's a big question. Where was Adam? Where was Adam? We find in the story that he's standing right there. So we all want to jump on Eve, right, and just say, you know, Gee whiz, Eve, man, what a mess you were. But here we have the, the first created being who understood the word of God, who got it straight from his mouth. We don't know that maybe Eve got it secondarily. So Adam is just walking with her, and they're, and they're hanging out, and Adam says, and she goes, hey, look at that tree. He says, no, 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 we're not supposed to eat that one. The father told me directly, do not eat it. Now, that would make sense when we think of spiritual authority. Don't eat of that one. Now, we can eat the tree of life. That's the good one. And then anything else, but not that one. So Eve is like, oh, okay, cool. 
So now she's here, she's being deceived, she's in a battle, and the whole time, Adam does not say a word. Wow. Man, what an indictment against us, guys. I mean, I don't know, was he out hunting? Did I just say that? Hunting for fruit. Fruit. Well, where's Adam? Well, what we know here is in what's taking place, and and Paul appeals to this when he's talking to Timothy in chapter 2. What he says is the woman was deceived and the man is knowingly disobedient. So the woman is caught up in the the honey language of the devil and the poor thing is being led aside and in the end she's deceived. Now, that's not a good thing, ladies, okay? But a worse thing is Satan standing, I'm, I'm sorry, Adam standing right there and letting it happen. So what he is doing is considering. He's thinking. He's watching it. He's seeing what's taking place. So he's just as guilty, if not more guilty. Okay? This original sin of rebellion, because this is what takes place in Adam's heart. Adam has to make a decision as he's watching this process take place. He has to finally say, you know what? I'm going to let her do that. He could have taken her by the arm and say, you are bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. We are one, and I'm not going to let you do this. Wow. Can you guys see the, the layers here <laughs> and, 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 and the rippling effect of what spiritual authority is supposed to do? And so he should have done that, but in his heart, rebellion rose up. We don't know that, but we know we were guilty of it. And where there is a sentence, there must have been the act. And so, in his heart, there's rebellion. And it goes on to define the proclivity toward deception and rebellion with which men and women suffer uniquely. And what I mean by that is that women uniquely are easily deceived. Now, don't throw something at me. But we are talking about spiritual proclivities. We are talking about a spiritual sense. We do know that men and women are incredibly different in spite of what (laughs) you're hearing in the news just take a basic psychology course or a physiology course, men and women are incredibly wired differently. I mean, and, and complementing one another beautifully, which of course was, was God's plan from the beginning. But what we also find is that there's a spiritual difference, and I hate to bring it to you, but ladies, you have an innate sense to be more easily deceived. And guys... We have an innate sense of being, sitting on and watching things happen and not taking responsibility for what's taking place in our home and taking place right in front of our eyes. And, you know, so it kind of sits there, doesn't it? I mean, gosh, we're just kind of calling it what it is. And we're all just kind of quiet because we're going, oh, yeah, man, he got me. And it's not me. It's not me. You know, the scripture lays this out. Paul is, in, is finding a, a bunch of chaos in the church in Corinth. And he sees what's going on there in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and throughout. And he's just saying, now let's time out. He says, don't you guys understand that all the way in the beginning, the original sin worked like this. That women are more easily deceived now spiritually. Nowhere else do you, you, are you going to see that. When it comes to intellect, when it comes to the the, 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 the the power that is obviously in every single woman, the capability 
incredible. But when it comes to spiritual matters, there's something you just can't kick. You just can't get past it. And so, which is why Paul appeals to, when it comes to marriage, that the man should remain in a place of spiritual authority. Boy, you could find, you could hear a pin drop in this building. Because <laughs> I know, well, that's right. And, and, and now this may, matter of fact, when I first came here, gosh, I gotta get going. When I first came here and I started teaching these concepts, man, I mean, I had people come up to me, Randy, Brian. I had people coming up to me and said, you know what, we've, we've never heard this before. And it's not an indictment on anyone else. It's just that, you know, as pastors, sometimes we don't want to touch that thing. But I'm crazy enough to touch that thing. Why? Because I'm telling you, it is going to bless your socks off. When we get back to God's pattern, God's way, then watch God do some amazing things. I wish I could talk more about this, Andrea, but maybe we need to do this in the future. Get her up here. Let her give uh, her perspective on this because I think it's so very important for people to understand. Seems old-fashioned, but my gosh, what in the Bible doesn't seem old-fashioned today? I mean, wow. All right, so we have this proclivity when it comes to spiritual things. Where'd they come from? Right here. Confirmed by Paul, speaking to Timothy. But here's another thing. Just because they're unique to us, men and women, they're also shared. Because why? Because the man comes from the woman. So guys, we're easily deceived too. Ladies, you can walk in rebellion just like anybody. So they're not just unique sins, that the only sins we operate in. No, 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 we, they're, all, they're all mixed up. We all walk in sin equally and, you know, we're broken. We need Jesus. But it is kind of important when we think of spiritual positions, when we think about spiritual authority, we should really take into account of what happened from the beginning and how it can continue to happen. So what, did they, what were they looking for? Knowledge. And their seeking of knowledge became their enemy as their eyes were then opened and their innocence was lost. And the effect of the sin was an awareness of what? Who remembers? What's the first thing that comes along? Naked. Why do they have to put that one in the story? That seems a little odd, doesn't it? That the first thing that happens when their eyes, they, just, they go, oh, man, we're naked. I mean, why couldn't it be, man, you're ugly? Or, you know, or, man, you're mean. Or, they, or you begin to realize, well, she's demanding, or he's pushy, or something like that. Mm-mm. Nakedness. It explains a lot when you, when you hear what I've got to say here. So that knowledge, it opens their eyes. Innocence is lost, Right? And what does that, the idea of nakedness symbolize? That number one, we know that sexuality from that point is forever distorted. The shame of one's sexuality is the most deep-seated, life-dominating psychosis with which human beings often struggle. After 33 years of counseling, I'm going to tell you that is the truth. People sitting in my office over and over again, when I see people struggling in their lives, struggling in their relationships, struggling in many areas, it often comes back to sexuality. Their understanding, their exposure to it, often being exposed to it way too young. 
Their eyes were opened to nakedness. Hello. And it began, it began to do a dismantling of you know, a person's psyche. Be able to, their, their ability to look at relationships healthily, to be able to look at their own their, their body and their, their, their humanity in a healthy way. And folks, we're hell-bent right now. Hell-bent on trying to destroy it even more. What do you think the fallout of that is going to be? A happier world? Don't think so. More devastated human beings. More in desperate need of an answer. Eating of the fruit. I mean, it's like tree of, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, part two. So we see that sexuality becomes distorted forever from that point, that shame for the first time enters the human heart. Shame. Something we were never designed to ever carry. So, and I tell people that in counseling all the time, I say, look, for us to walk in shame is not normal. It's foreign. It's alien. It's, it's, we've never been able to carry it, which is why it damages us so much. Shame screws up our head. Shame breaks down. It can literally have physical or physiological effects upon us. It can make us sick. Fear enters the human heart. What, what happens for Adam and Eve after they, they see each other naked? They, whoa, whoa, we've we got to cover up here. So they put on the fig leaves, the first act of sowing. So there they go. And then they hear God coming. And what do they do? They hide. And you know they must have been thinking, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? We used to walk with God every day in the cool of the day. We used to enjoy this time. This was church. This was fellowship. This was fun. And now it's no fun. Now we're running from God and we're hiding. And they, they must have been looking at one another and just, you know, can you imagine that? And fear enters the human experience. Another feeling humans were never designed to carry, ever. Which, once again, why fear is so damaging to us, to our minds and to our bodies. Running and hiding from God becomes a part of every man and woman's struggle. Human beings become experts at hiding and covering and justifying, which is an adult way of hiding, by the way. So when we're kids, you come home, hello, here I'm hiding in the closet. Or, you know, in the beginning, they just put hands over their eyes and just say, well, if, if you can't see, if I can't see you, you must not be able to see me. Right? Starts as little children. You see shame and fear and guilt starting in the human existence, which is why we know we're hardwired with it. And so, but as adults, we become really good hiders. This, the, the Proverbs tells us that our mouth can be smiling, our face can be smiling, but our hearts are broken. And when we get to that point of justifying, you know, talking with people from time to time, and, and when, the, when the, 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 the totality of our conversation is trying to answer my questions before I've had a chance to even ask them by justifying the things that they know are wrong, you know, that shows you that, man, you're, you've got fig leaves sewed on and you're hiding, you know, hiding in the woods. Whereas when we come to that place, that's not a, play, a happy place to live, is it? Not at all. Adam and Eve must have immediately felt like, oh, wow, what happened here? We have lost something. See, humanity must do what it can to compensate. Now catch this. Humanity then must do what it can to compensate for the social 
and the spiritual ruin that sin causes. See, once that's what's going on in our world today. It's just like, no, 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 we can't. There is no starting point. There is no such thing as sin. Therefore, all of this fallout is just what we have to deal with. And so we make medicines, and so we create programs, and so we have political systems, and so we have all of these things that man builds and creates in order to take care of the consequences of sin. And it costs trillions of dollars. And, and so what we do is just keep throwing money at it. And, and, and the cheapest thing that a person can do is get down on their knees and say, Jesus, come into my heart. And the cheapest thing, well, it may not be completely cheap, but I'll tell you what, we'll get you one for $1.50. It's called the Bible. And you can get one today. And all you have to do is open that thing and begin to read it. And if you begin to embrace it, then you begin to find yourself being able to come out of that and just say, you know what? I was born with eyes wide open, but they're, they're really blinded to truth. The opposite of ta- is taking place. I see all things that are evil, but now, God, open my eyes so I might see you and dim my eyesight to that, but that my eyes be clear to the holiness of God so that I have nothing to fear. Amen? Amen? See, fear dominates a life without Christ. But man, when you give your life to Christ, it comes to the point of what can death do to me? You know, recently, this past week, was it nine or ten Christians were shot as a result of a, a, a wicked man walking into a classroom and saying, I'm looking for Christians. Stand up. State your religion. And when they said they were Christian, they were shot in the head. The next face they saw was Jesus. And I, we grieve, and I grieve. Matter of fact, I'm more than grieving. I, I get mad. I mean, there's a, a, a righteous indignation that should come from that. But at the same time, I look at it and just say, you know what? You can take the body, but you can't take the spirit. I'm sorry. You just can't do it. I understand that man wanted to be embraced by the devil. Well, he probably got his wish. But may I finish my sentence here, my, my, my thought, is that in this world, we then create godless philosophies that are embedding into the input, input zones, our education, our television, our entertainment, our political agendas, and even religion. Everything that we can do to try to outsmart, out-strategize, out-move God. And all of that will end up in complete, utter failure. It just will. And why we don't look back back at history to try to figure that out, Lord help me, I do not know why. History should be our teacher, but I'm afraid we're we're, we're bound to repeat it. So God calls out to man at the end of our story. And he says, where are you? They're hiding, and man calls them. And you know, that call continues to this day. Man, woman, where are you? Where are you? Where do you find yourself? Are you hiding from God? Are you hiding from God on the inside? You know, hiding in plain sight, as they like to say. Or are we hiding from God? Or are we right where we need to be? And that is at the foot of the cross. Because look, here's the truth today. Here's the truth. And what I want you to take away is because we read about this and our hearts go out and we get get a little mad at Adam and Eve. But you know what? They're called agents. You know why they call them agents? They're called agents because you and me would do the exact same thing. 
When you get up to Adam, don't get mad at him. Don't slap him. Don't do anything. And just say, man, I'm with you, bro. Because we are. We would have done exactly the same thing. Because only (laughs) they had so much more than what we had, and it still fell into it. You know, for us, we'd be in that garden, and man, we'd be one day eating on that tree. We'd be climbing up to the top of it, just munching down. But the good news is this, folks, that God looked out through time. We're going to find this out next week. But God looks at this, and his heart is broken to see his man and his woman now infested with sin. And death begins to move in their lives. The consequence of sin did not strike him. My kids ask me, well, why didn't Adam and Eve die right then? Because it takes a lot for sin to destroy God's creation. The perfect man and woman. Took them hundreds of years for them to finally die, but they did die. And sin will work its stuff in us. But here's the beauty. Here's the power. God then said to Adam and Eve, and we'll see this next week, that he promised to send an answer. He promised to send a Savior. He's going to send Adam again, and this time do it right. And so, you know, we've been affected by what Adam and Eve did. But in Romans chapter 5, 18 and 19, it says this, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, Adam and Eve, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, you and me, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. What Jesus does on the cross for us, it directly impacted what took place on that day. We lost it all. Eden was lost. The power of sin begins to set in. But Jesus comes, and he's obedient to the Father, even unto death. And he takes upon himself the original sin of Adam and Eve. And he takes upon himself more than just that. He takes your sins of your past, your present, and your future. Is that powerful stuff or what? So yeah, I'll tell you what. What Adam and Eve is a what Adam and Eve did was a heartbreaker, but there is we've got reason to rejoice today, because no longer as believers in Jesus Christ are do we have to be subjected to the deception, no longer subjected to the rebellion, to the consequence of sin anymore. Does does that mean that we're not going to be tempted to sin? Uh, we're going to be tempted to sin, but I love what it says. In 1 John 1, 9, but he is faithful and he is just to purify us from all unrighteousness. And and he says, even if you do sin, all you have to do is confess. Wow. And then he's responsible for changing us because we say, well, man, I've confessed a sin over and over again. So let's stand up. Let's pray.